by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Anybody ever heard the, the story about the crossroads down in the Delta in Mississippi? Old Robert Johnson, a blues musician, that when he was about 19 years old, uh, I guess it was back in the 1920s, a long time ago, but he was about 19 years old, and he walked up into this juke joint. Now, some of you young people don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but a juke joint, like a nightclub, and the musicians was on a break, and he said, could I play somebody's guitar? And he walked in there, and he, he put on the guitar, and he began to play that guitar. He began to sing, and everybody was like, Wow, that's horrible. <laughs> that sounds like some noise. Get him down, get him down. And they begin to ridicule him and tell him that was awful. That's the worst noise we heard sound like a dying seagull, you know. And they ran him out of the nightclub, making fun of him. Robert Johnson leaves. They don't see the boy for a long time. A little over a year later, I think it was, he came back. And he was carrying his own guitar this time. He said, can I play again? And he plugged in, and I guess they let him play just because they wanted to make fun of him and run him out again. But he plugged up that guitar, and this time when he began to play, it was sounds like they had never heard, and this time it wasn't bad, it was good. It was the sounds that, reason why you've heard his name now, because it was innovative, it was, it was on top, and, and his voice had totally changed. And everybody was like, is this the same kid? It's only been a year. There's no way. So they begin to make up this legend. They begin to make up stories about how he could have transformed from this guy that was making this horrible noise to this guy that could play like nobody's business. And they begin to say that he went down to the crossroads, meaning I think Highway 49 and Highway 61. They're in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And they said at midnight, the devil came by and tuned his guitar. And then he was able to play because he sold his soul for the ability to play like that. Now, can you do that? Can you sell your soul? I mean, a lot of people sell their soul for less than that, don't they? Well, rumor has it that he sold his soul for the ability to play. And he didn't do much to dispel the rumor. In fact, he wrote songs like Down at the Crossroads. He wrote songs that says, Hell, Hellhound on my trail. And he never denied it. And he began to live a hard party in life. They began to let him play in the nightclubs. He recorded some albums and stuff, you know, and, that you can listen to today. And he just began to live like the Hellhound was on his trail. Hard liquor, chasing after hard women. But the sad part about his life was he died at 27 years old. He had five years of, of good times, so, so to speak. The devil gave him five years and took his life. Some people say that he died of syphilis. 
Other people say that they think one of the husbands of one of the wives he was messing with poisoned him. They're not quite sure. But today we're going to talk about, now I know, I don't expect anybody in here would sell their soul to the devil. That's pretty obvious. Right? (laughs) But if you think about it, those strongholds that Richard was talking about stuff, we have believed some of the devil's lies, and in, in fact, he is stealing parts of our life. He is stealing some of the best parts of our life, things that we're supposed to be enjoying, he has stolen from us. He's making us miserable when this life is not supposed to be miserable. We're supposed to be full of joy and and peace that passes all understanding. If not, then what lies from the devil have you believed? 1 Peter 5, 8. I know you know this scripture. says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, Say adversary. You know he's not your friend, right? I mean, he comes off as a friend. Oh, hey, buddy, me and you, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. He tries to act like a friend, but he is, in fact, an adversary, and you need to settle that right now. Don't befriend the devil. Because he walks about like a roaring lion. We know he's not a roaring lion. We know he's a toothless lion because Jesus plucked his teeth out. At Calvary. But he's seeking whom he may devour. It says resist him steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words other Christians are being tempted too. He doesn't just tempt the lost. He loves to tempt Christians. The brothers and the sisters in the faith. So we got to be sober and we got to be vigilant. And we got to resist him how? Steadfastly in the faith. When we think about devour, that word, oh, he's going to devour us. We think, well, it's going to be a car wreck. Or I'm going to get cancer or something. He can get you in fear because he's roaring, you know. And that roar is meant to entice fear in your life. He's like, oh, these Major things are going to... If the devil could have done that, he would have wiped you out already. The devil can't cause a car wreck on you unless God allows it. You're God's children. He can't do anything to you without permission. But the problem is, is us giving him permission for everything. I mean, if he could have killed you, he would have already done it. But Satan simply works in concert with our own flesh. You see, our flesh is that, that old man that we should have buried in baptism, you know. We should have killed him off a long time ago when we dig him back up. And he's got those sinful, fleshful desires. And when the devil comes and tempts us with his lies, it starts to sound awful good to our flesh. But the Bible says don't walk in the flesh, to walk in the spirit. That's why you got to be sober and be vigilant. Because you start walking in the flesh in one moment. The next thing you know, you're going to be falling for some lies. Next thing you know, it's going to turn into a stronghold. Next thing you know, your life's going to be in the gutter. And you're going to say, what happened to me? What just happened? And we say, life comes at us fast. We blame it on life. But life ain't the problem. Sir, death is the problem. So he works in concert with our flesh to deceive us. And what happens is, 
is he allows us to devour ourselves a little bit at a time. He's patient. He'll, if, if you're on the wrong track, if you're slowly fading away from God, he's not going to rush you. Just doing good, doing good. Just keep going, just keep going. And he'll allow you to devour yourself a little bit at a time. John 8, 44 says he is a liar and the father of lies. In fact, he invented lying. He was the first one to ever do it. Just about everything that comes out of his mouth is a twisted truth or just an outright lie. You hear that dark voice talking to you, don't believe him for a minute. He convinces us to, to give up our birthright for a little bowl of red stew. He don't make you take this stew. But working in concert with your flesh, you want the stew. And you lose sight of your birthright. He, he tells you to eat that forbidden fruit. Did God really say? Yes, God really said. You better know what God really said. That's the problem. Some of us are like, yeah, I guess God did say that. And he'll take the truth. He used scriptures when he tempted Jesus. But he just, his interpretation was all wrong. And he causes us to walk away from our life source. And if you're walking away from life, what are you walking into? Death. And you walk away from life that God intends for you to have. We spend our inheritance on the things of this world. When the Bible says to save up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and the devil doesn't uh, break through and steal, you know, don't let the devil steal your stuff. Save your treasures in heaven. What's a wiser investment? Okay, say we live 100 years on this earth in the scope of all of eternity. Do you know in 3 billion years you will be somewhere? And where you'll be in 3 billion years is determined by what you decide here in this 100 years you may have? What would be a wiser investment? To build your kingdom now? To have, all you, have everything now in this one little moment? Or to give up your life that you may find eternal life? I mean, if I was just up here trying to talk you into an investment, uh, that's a good one. To invest in the kingdom of God. To die daily to the things of this world. To take up your cross and follow Jesus. It pays big dividends. Because not only will it determine where you spend eternity. It will determine all the rewards that you have in eternity. Oh my goodness. If you think about that. It will cause you to say man I can't waste another moment the way I'm living. I can't go through another day just living for myself. God keeps good records. He told the story Jesus did in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. The young boy wanted his inheritance now. In fact, he said, I don't even want to be near the father's house. He said, give me my money, which was an embarrassment to his dad. Because you don't get your inheritance till your dad's dead. He's basically saying, Dad, you're dead to me. Just give me my money. That's all you're worth to me. 
Well, before we start thinking so bad about him, that's what I did when I was a young man. I ran from dad's house. I took my stuff. I wanted it now. And I wanted to live for me. I didn't care about dad's house at all. That's what he did. He, he got his inheritance. He ran off. And Jesus said he spent everything he had on riotous living. I don't know what that meant back then, but probably prostitutes, drinking, drugs. If they had them back then, I'm sure they had something. Yeah, same thing as, same thing as we have now. But he spent all his money. It don't take long to spend everything you got. It don't take long to spend this inheritance here on this side. And now he's poor. And all the friends he's been buying beers for all this time, they probably ain't buying him one now that he don't have any money left. Them friends you thought you had, you know. And along about that time comes a famine. You know God's pretty good at sending famines at the right times. I believe God, do you, you, you understand, if God never sent a famine, if we were all just allowed to live comfortably down in here in our pig slop, we'd never reach out. We'd never look up. But he sent a famine, and his belly began to <laughs> cause him some problems. He was so hungry. He was working for a man that was feeding his pigs. And, of course, Jewish boys don't believe in pigs at all. You know what I'm saying? That was nasty to them. This is the lowest of low. He had to take the lowest of low jobs. He's out there feeding the pigs. He's looking at the pods thinking, them look mighty tasty. Maybe the master ain't looking. I'll get me one. But the master wouldn't even give him the pig pods. That's the name of today's message if you saw the advertisement on Facebook. Pig pods or a party? Because we choose. God doesn't make our decisions for us. He just presents us with the hands. Pig pods or a party? You choose. Well, the Bible says he came to his senses. Whoo, thank goodness. He finally came to his senses and thought to himself, you know, even the servants in my dad's house eat good. I'll go back to dad I'll tell him I'm not worthy to be his son. I'll say I've sinned against him and against God. He begins to rehearse all these things he's going to say. But his stomach draws him back home. And he's on the way home. And he says he was still a long way off when the father saw him coming. The father jumped up and said, lock the doors. That son that I can't stand has come back. That son that's embarrassed me. That son that don't love me no more. That is, he didn't do that, did he? The father runs to the boy. He embraces him. He kisses him. And as the boy's rehearsing, I'm sinned against you, Dad. He's like, hush, boy. Servant, look, get these pig clothes off of him. Go get him a robe. Get him, oh, and get him the ring, the, the, the family ring to put on, and some shoes. He's got mud all over his, pig slop all over his shoes. Get him some new sandals. And kill the fatted calf, because we're going to party. And they threw the biggest party. They, it was so loud that when the older brother was coming in up out of the fields who had been working all day, he hears the commotion. He says to one of the servants, what's going on in the house? He said, your brother's come home and your dad's killed the fatted calf and they're partying. And he goes, well, that's not right. 
He gets all mad. So much so that the dad has to to come out and try to reason with him. He said, son, what's wrong? He said, dad, I've been working for you all these years. I never left the house. I've been in church every Sunday. I've been doing my duty. I've been trying to please you. Look at all the things I've done. And the father says, well, your brother was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. It's right that we should party. He said, but kill him, the fatted calf. You never killed a fatted calf for me. He said, son, everything I have has always been yours. If you didn't partake of it, whose fault is that? If you want to sit up in, in my house and play church and get all self-righteous trying to live a works mentality to please me and you never party, that's your fault. You know, we're the warm, warm fun-loving church. When we said fun, some people got mad. You're not supposed to have fun in the house of God. You're supposed to all sacrifice. Hmm. That's quite a story. But it's suffice to say that both sons had missed out on the life that the father wanted for them. By believing the lies of old Slewfoot. The one had said, well, I'm going to make my own way. I just want to live and have fun. I don't believe in no rules and regulations. Father don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. And they ran, he ran from the house of God. And the other one was right there in the house of God and didn't know God any more than the other son. Did not know the father any better than the other son. Well, I wanted to talk about a few things because, you see, I notice in me and other Christians, we can still be deceived today. And I got a few things. Just as I was pondering on this message, I wrote down a few things. Now, you know, the list is endless, right? I mean... <laughs> It could be anything that you're deceived about. But these are the few of the things. For example, I had a young man come and buy some cornhole boards from me this week. And usually when they do, I'll start asking them about their relationship with Jesus and so forth. And I ask him where he goes to church. He said, oh, I ain't been going to church. He didn't even lie like a lot of them and try to think of some church and tell me. <laughs> it's funny. I asked him a lot. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to church. I go to church. Where do you go? Uh, um, that one over on... Uh, What's your pastor's name? Um, uh, I, uh, I, it's Bill something. <laughs> anyway, he, he said, I don't even go to church. I said, well, how's your relationship with Jesus? You, do you know the Lord? He said, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I said, why don't you go to church? Why don't... He said, well, I work all the time. He said, my job, I work seven days a week. Then he began to brag about how many hours a week he was putting in. And I said, well, is this just for a season or is this the way you plan on spending your life? You know, because you could wake up 50 years from now and say, where did my life go? 
Men are bad about putting their hand to the plow, looking down and never looking up. One track mind. Thinking it's all about the work. Now, so what, what, what happens, you know, when you look up and you realize that your, your kid said he, the best thing they can say about you at your funeral is he was a good provider. I didn't really know dad, but he was a good provider. He said, well, he said, I don't know. Money. I don't know. And, and I said, what about you, your children? Are, are you taking them to church? Are, are they, they having the same opportunity to know Christ that you did? He got quiet. See, it's easy just to think, well, I got mine. That's all that matters. The devil's lying to you. Thinking, he, said, he did use the scripture on me, though. He said, if a man don't work, he don't eat. But he didn't say you had to work seven days a week. And in fact, the Bible told me that God gives us the Sabbath day of rest. Anyway, he bought the cornhole boards, but barely. <laughs> Another thing that I see in my life. Now, you understand, I'm, I preach to myself before I preach to y'all, right? Sometimes we justify sin. The devil begins to say, well, you're not as bad as the rest of the world. <laughs> is that very much to gauge yourself by, really? I mean, what is, how bad would you have to be to be as bad as the, the unbelievers these days? Well, I, you know, I'm only looking at a little pornography. I'm only doing this. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And, and then, then we begin to say, well, you know, I'm under grace. And we begin to get in on the greasy grace part. You know, we think that we can just do what we want and God's grace will cover us. Yeah, yeah, our sin has been forgiven positionally. But what about the relationship? You see, there's more than one level that you have to think about. You can't just be a Christian and just live a sinful life and think that that's okay. And you think that me and, me and God are fine. You know that's not true. You know your sin is, the wages of sin is death, and you're heading towards death, and life is over there. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and you're heading away from him because sin is leading you to death. And so the relationship is broken. And we think, well, I'll be the one that, I'll be the one that I won't, I won't reap what I sow. You ever heard that one? But Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. You're not going to mock God. You, you're thinking, well, if, if I sin, God will forgive me. Yes, he will. But the, the consequences are already built in, the sin. God's not up there doling out punishments for your sin. The consequences are already built in. And God's not mocked. You're going to get what you sow. I don't know how mercy works in that. I always plead mercy. But you can't live on mercy. Amen. And that, that separation between you and God, I want to be so close. It says the, the holy shall see God, right? Don't you want to see God? I want to see God. I don't know if y'all get excited about this stuff like I do. 
Somebody's going to get set free in here today. Another thing the devil tells us is, my sin ain't hurting anybody else. Okay, I'll take the wages of sin because I love my sin. But my sin don't hurt anybody else. That's the biggest lie. Everybody that sees you knows that your life is not what it's supposed to be. And it hurts them. There's generational curses. You say, well, I, I, God no understands that I'm an alcoholic and that this and this. And, and my sin is not hurting anybody else. I'm not making anybody else drink. No, but you're carrying on that generational curse. And it's going to be passed to your children. And God is calling us to be curse breakers. God is calling you to so much more. You can break that curse in your generation. And you say it's not hurting anybody. It's hurting your, your lineage for till Jesus comes back. He called you for such a time as this. You are to stand up as the man or woman in your home. Don't believe that lie that your sin doesn't affect anybody else. And then, of course, we live in, a, in America where everybody who said the sinner's prayer thinks they're going to heaven. And the Bible says, Jesus will say on that day, just because you said, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. You, you did good works, uh-huh. But I never knew you. And if you're sitting in here today and you said the sinner's prayer and somebody's told you all your life that you're going to heaven, but you've never really had a personal relationship with Jesus... You, you don't feel convicted to tell anybody about your faith. The Holy Spirit never corrects you or convicts you in, of sin. You're not saved. You're deceived. Just go back to where you first believed the lie and now believe the truth. Because back where you first believed that lie is where you got off track. And you can't get back on track till you go back and say, okay, this is what the devil said, but what does this say? What does this say? And break that stronghold and get back on track. And then there's chances that we get deceived into a slow fade. A slow fade. As pastor, I've been here for many years. I've been here 23 years at this church, maybe more, but I've only been pastor six years. But even in the six years, I've seen so many couples or so many individuals come into this church just all jacked up. Their life is a mess. It's a shambles. And they receive Christ. And the light comes in, and they're so excited. You know, they're like that seed that planted and sprouted up quickly. Man, they're living and they're so, and they're here every Sunday and they're serving the Lord hard and they get their lives together. God gets them a job, gets them cleaned up from uh, drugs and alcohol and they begin to live the life. And then all of a sudden the devil says, you got it all together now. You don't have to go every Sunday. You can go fishing this Sunday. And then they miss because they want to go fishing one Sunday. That's nothing wrong with fishing. I've missed church to go fishing before. But then when you do it again the second Sunday, and then, you know, you show up the third Sunday, but you didn't lost your enthusiasm, and it wasn't as everything you remembered it to be. So next Sunday, I'm going to go fishing again. Whatever it is that's pulling you away. And I think with the live stream now, so many people just say, oh, I'm just going to watch on live stream. 
But the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That was never meant to be a permanent fix. That's temporary. And now it's hard to come back. And, and some people have been gone for so long, I call them, then they get mad at me for calling What's that? Oh, me or oh, oh my or something like that? And then uh, we're living in a, in a culture where the devil's, oh, all this division just pumped at us. People constantly stoking the fires of racial division, political division, even denominational division within the church. And what's sad is to see born-again Christians buying into the love, me against them, us against them, when we're all children of God, rich, poor, white, black, brown, yellow, male, female. And then... You know, fear is the opposite of faith. If you're living your life in fear because you're watching too much news and you're staying at home and when you leave, you got three masks on and, and, and you're just locked up because of fear, that's a lie from the enemy too. I'm not saying, I'm not getting, oh, mask or no mask, that's a division thing, right? Can't nobody say nothing about that because people feel strongly on both sides. I understand. I'm, it's not about masks, but I'm saying if you're in such fear that you can't leave your house over some disease that if I was to write out the decimal points on how, how many people actually die from the disease, it would be very small. And you've given up your life over that very, very small percent. People are hurting and dying, and our children are not coming back to church. Can I be real for a moment? It's breaking my heart that the children are not in the church. And I'm talking to you parents. Get your children back in the church. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. There's people to say, I'm not deceived in any area. Well, be careful. Because the very nature of deception is that you don't know you're deceived. I would dare to say that me and everybody else in here has areas in their life that you're believing a lie. And one thing I want to tax you with this week is to pray and let God expose those lies. Write them down. Next week I'll put a box up here on the altar. And we'll put those lies in that box. And we'll be done with them forever. We'll, we'll kill them on the altar. How about that? Write yours down. I'm going to have a box here next week. Remind me, Angie, to have a box. Somebody might say, I'm a nobody. My life don't count. What do I got to offer? That's why you see so many people give up life in this world to live a life in virtual world where they create for themselves a new identity on 
Facebook and, and all their joy and all their relationships are now online in this world that really doesn't exist. I used to wonder how I was going to stand before God and say, God, I spent my whole life in front of this box that showed me other people's lives playing and I didn't live mine. Well, how are we going to explain how we swiped our life away instead of lived our own life? All these are deceptions of the devil. If he can get you busy doing nothing, that's what we are, busy doing nothing. I didn't mean to go here. Please forgive me. Down at the jail, the guys are likely to say, you know, it's too late for me. I've done messed up my life. I don't go in the wrong direction so long that God can't use me now. I've done things that I can't come back from. That's a lie, too. That's a lie, too. I tell them this is the first day of the rest of your life. Receive Christ. Be forgiven and start out on a fresh start right now. Some people say that I'm all alone in this life. Nobody loves me. I have to go on the Internet or nobody would pay me any attention. That's a lie, too, because I know somebody that was willing to die for you. To have a relationship with you. And I know somebody that's putting a church together with brothers and sisters in it. So you have a family. You're believing a lie. There are people. you got to show yourself friendly to be a friend. you got to step out of the house and, and talk to somebody. And God's building a church so that you can have friends and family. That you don't have to be alone. And that his spirit will never leave you. Never forsake you. He died for you. The devil's. He cons them into living in the nation. Not yet. Not yet. I ain't got to you yet. I'll, I'll, I'll nod at you. They so up, they, they get ready to jam. You know. Well, they ready to get up there. I don't blame them. I'm ready to get up there too. But we ain't done. The devil cons them to live in his nation. It's called condemnation. <laughs> didn't know what I was talking about, did you? That's what I struggle with. Even after getting saved, and I know it ain't about me, the devil's always saying, oh, you look at you now, look at you now. You, how are you going to be pastor like that? I can, I can preach and go to the jail and do the next step class all in one day and go home and feel like I didn't do enough today. In fact, I was up here earlier this week walking these floors and praying and, and the Lord put something on my heart to cast a devil out of somebody. And just as I was about to get started, the devil came to me. He says, who are you going to cast the devil out? You ain't read your Bible enough this week. You ain't all that spiritual. You ain't done this. You ain't done it. I said, shut up, devil. That's what we need to do. Say, shut up, devil. Resist the devil. He will flee. I said, shut up, devil. It ain't about me. It's about Christ in me, the hope of my glory. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that liveth in me. And I'll cast you out if I want to, because I have authority over you. Hmm. It's time to choose the party instead of the pig pods. The father rushed to him and said, get him the robe of righteousness. Put it back on him. He's lived in the pig pen long enough. He stinks. Get him a fresh robe of righteousness. 
the signet ring on. This signifies he's a child of mine. And he has the authority that comes with living in this house. Let's go to one verse. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. We're going to close one day. Y'all relax. I told Angie, this is a long message. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, I didn't. I was going to try to keep it short, but I didn't. Luke 10, 17. Jesus had sent the disciples out to, to witness. And it says, then the 70 returned with joy. How many knows witnessing will bring joy in your life? Hallelujah. Sharing what you got was what uh, brings joy to the forefront of your life. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He ain't nothing. I kicked it. I booted him out of heaven. And verse 19 says, Behold, I give you authority. Say authority. Does anybody in here believes that the devil has authority over them? He doesn't. He would like you to believe he does. But I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Over all of it. And nothing shall by any means hurt you unless you let it. He said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. The spirits are subject to you. And I'm going to blow your mind. Even the good spirits are subject to you. The Bible says the angels are ministers of fire sent to minister to the saints. I send my ministering angels out to bring in the harvest to protect the media team from bugs on the computer. I, I send them ministers. Of, I send the angels out to protect you, to get you here on Sunday mornings. They're here to help us. They're, they're, some of them sitting up there scratching your head. Your, your, your guardian angel said, I ain't had nothing to do since 1963. You ain't never asked me to do nothing. You have not because you ask not. Yeah. The ministering angels are sent here. They're, they're subject to you. Not that you're better than them, but God sent them here to minister to us. How much more the demons should tremble when you set your foot on the floor in the morning? You have authority. They're subject to you by, in the name of Jesus. Not in your own strength. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Man, you got that ring on. It don't matter what you've done in the past. You just come home and the father puts the ring back on. And he says, let's get him some sandals. Look at the mud on his sandals. Let's get him some new shoes. Shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That, that's purpose in your life. He gave you some new shoes, so get to stepping. Get to stepping into the purpose he called. See, we're a church here that says that we're a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. That's what we're here to do, to get you to put your shoes on. <laughs> and when you put them shoes on, my brothers and sisters, you start bringing visitors to the church like many of you do. You start seeing souls, and that joy starts welling up. That's why we have a celebration. That's why we kill the fatted calf. That's why they're partying in heaven. 
The Father was showing us. That's when we'll party when my lost sons start coming home, when they were dead, but now they're alive again. That's when the party begins. Woo! The true joy is finding lost souls. Everything the Father has is ours. If we knew the truth. The truth activates your faith. Your faith reaches out and grabs hold of everything that is the Father's. John 10.10 says the thief's purpose, Jesus just sums it up, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And that's what Brother Joe preached about last week. I'm showing you how to have life and life more abundantly, Jesus said. Come unto me. I am life. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Stop walking away. Stop letting the devil entice you away from the pack so he can have his way with you. You just stay close with me. You keep going to the Father's house. You keep coming. You keep coming. You keep doing. You keep doing. And you will have life and life more abundantly. And John 1.16 says, from his abundance, we have received all, all, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Some of you only received one gracious blessing. That was when you got saved. <laughs> but your life is supposed to be one continuous blessing after another because you keep coming to the Father, not to please Him, not to show Him how good you are. You've made it about you. Make it about Him. Lift Him up. That's why we're saying you are more than enough. You are more than enough. You are all that I need, Jesus. You are everything that I ever desire. You lift Him up, and then all the praises go up, and the glory comes down. Man, it's not about you. It's about Jesus in you. Hallelujah. The devil came to Jesus, took him up on a high mountain, said, I'll give you all these kingdoms of this world. Jesus looked at him. Man, you need to get out of my sight. You need to get behind me. Because I don't even want to see you. Get behind me. Because it's written, thou shalt serve the Lord your God, and him only shalt thou serve. That's all you got to do. Just serve God with your whole heart. Go whole hog. And see what happened. One gracious blessing after another. The joy of the Lord staying. You're no more soul fading. No more, no more. I got to get to the house. I got to get to the house of God. I got to get in his presence. You're going to be like a Robert Johnson, sell your soul to the devil. Lived a scant five years and died in Greenwood, Mississippi. And you can go to his grave today. No, in fact, you can't go to his grave today because he doesn't have a marker. They don't even know where they buried him. They say he died a pauper and they put him in a pauper's grave. Go on, choose the devil. Choose the pig pods. But as for me and my house, we're going to have a party at daddy's house. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.